Kabbalion, a study of the Hermetic philosophy of ancient Egypt and Greece, by three initiates, narrated by Matthew Schmitz. The lips of wisdom are closed, except to the ears of understanding. Introduction we take great pleasure in presenting to the attention of students and investigators of the secret doctrines this little work based upon the world-old hermetic teachings. There has been so little written upon this subject, notwithstanding the countless references to the teachings and the many works upon occultism, that the many earnest searchers after the arcane truths will doubtless welcome the appearance of this present volume. The purpose of this work is not the enunciation of any special philosophy or doctrine, but rather is to give to the students a statement of the truth that will serve to reconcile the many bits of occult knowledge that they may have acquired, but which are apparently opposed to each other and which often serve to discourage and disgust the beginner in the study. Our intent is not to erect a new temple of knowledge but rather to place in the hands of the student a master key with which he may open the many inner doors in the temple of mystery through the main portals he has already entered. There is no portion of the occult teachings possessed by the world which have been so closely guarded as the fragments of the hermetic teachings which have come down to us over the tens of centuries which have elapsed since the lifetime of its great founder, Hermes Trismegistus, the scribe of the gods, who dwelt in old Egypt in the days when the present race of men was in its infancy, contemporary with Abraham, and, if the legends be true, an instructor of that venerable sage Hermes was, and is, the great central sun of occultism, whose rays have served to illumine the countless teachings which have been promulgated since his time. All the fundamental and basic teachings embedded in the esoteric teachings of every race may be traced back to Hermes. Even the most ancient teachings of India undoubtedly have their roots in the original Hermetic teachings. From the land of the Ganges, many advanced occultists wandered to the land of Egypt and sat at the feet of the Master. From him they obtained the Master Key which explained and reconciled their divergent views, and thus the secret doctrine was firmly established. From other lands also came the learned ones, all of whom regarded Hermes as the master of masters, and his influence was so great that in spite of the many wanderings from the path on the part of the centuries of teachers in these different lands, there may still be found a certain basic resemblance and correspondence which underlies the many and often quite divergent theories entertained and taught by the occultists of these different lands today. The student of comparative religions will be able to perceive the influence of the hermetic teachings in every religion worthy of the name, now known to man, whether it be a dead religion or one in full vigor in our own times. There is always certain correspondence in spite of the contradictory features, and the Hermetic teachings act as the great reconciler. The life work of Hermes 
seems to have been in the direction of planting the great seed truth, which has grown and blossomed in so many strange forms, rather than to establish a school of philosophy which would dominate the world's thought. But, nevertheless, the original truths taught by him have been kept intact in their original purity by a few men each age, who, refusing great numbers of half-developed students and followers, followed the hermetic custom and reserved their truth for the few who were ready to comprehend and master it. From lip to ear, the truth has been handed down among the few. There have always been a few initiates in each generation, in the various lands of the earth, who kept alive the sacred flame of the hermetic teachings, and such have always been willing to use their lamps to relight the lesser lamps of the outside world, when the light of truth grew dim and clouded by reason of neglect, and when the wicks became clogged with foreign matter. There were always a few to tend faithfully the altar of the truth, upon which was kept alight the perpetual lamp of wisdom. These men devoted their lives to the labor of love which the poet has so well stated in his lines. Oh, let not the flame die out, cherished age after age, in its dark cavern, in its holy temples cherished, fed by pure ministers of love. Let not the flame die out. These men have never sought popular approval nor numbers of followers. They are indifferent to these things, for they know how few there are in each generation who are ready for the truth, or who would recognize it if it were presented to them. They reserve the strong meat for men, while others furnish the milk for babes. They reserve their pearls of wisdom for the few elect, who recognize their value and who wear them in their crowns instead of casting them before the materialistic, vulgar swine who would trample them in the mud and mix them with their disgusting mental food. But still, these men have never forgotten or overlooked the original teachings of Hermes regarding the passing on of the words of truth to those ready to receive it, which teachings is stated in the Kabbalion as follows. Where fall the footsteps of the Master, the ears of those ready for his teaching open wide. And again, when the ears of the student are ready to hear, then cometh the lips to fill them with wisdom. But their customary attitude has always been strictly in accordance with the other hermetic aphorism, also in the Kabbalion. The lips of wisdom are closed, except to the ears of understanding. There are those who have criticized this attitude of the hermetists and who have claimed that they did not manifest the proper spirit in their policy of seclusion and reticence. But a moment's glance back over the pages of history will show the wisdom of the masters who knew the folly of attempting to teach to the world that which it was neither ready or willing to receive. The hermetists have never sought to be martyrs and have, instead, sat silently aside with a pitying smile on their closed lips, while the heathen raged noisily about them in their customary amusement of putting to death and torture the honest but misguided enthusiasts who imagined that they could force upon a race of barbarians 
the truth capable of being understood only by the elect who had advanced along the path. And the spirit of persecution has not as yet died out in the land. There are certain hermetic teachings, which, if publicly promulgated, would bring down upon the teachers a great cry of scorn and revilement from the multitude, who would again raise the cry of, Crucify, Crucify. In this little work, we have endeavored to give you an idea of the fundamental teachings of the Kabbalion, striving to give you the working principles, leaving you to apply them yourselves, rather than attempting to work out the teaching in detail. If you are a true student, you will be able to work out and apply these principles. If not, then you must develop yourself into one, for otherwise the hermetic teachings will be as words, 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 to you. The Three Initiates Chapter 1 The Hermetic Philosophy the lips of wisdom are closed, except to the ears of understanding. The Kabbalion From old Egypt have come the fundamental esoteric and occult teachings, which have so strongly influenced the philosophies of all races, nations, and peoples for several thousand years. Egypt, the home of the pyramids and the sphinx, was the birthplace of the hidden wisdom and mystic teachings. From her secret doctrine all nations have borrowed. India, Persia, Chaldea, Medea, China, Japan, Assyria, ancient Greece and Rome, and other ancient countries partook liberally at the feast of knowledge which the Hierophants and masters of the land of Isis so freely provided for those who came prepared to partake of the great store of mystic and occult lore which the masterminds of that ancient land had gathered together. In ancient Egypt dwelt the great adepts and masters who have never been surpassed and who seldom have been equaled during the centuries that have taken their processional flight since the days of the great Hermes. In Egypt was located the great lodge of lodges of the mystics. At the doors of her temples entered the neophytes, who afterward, as hierophants, Adepts and masters traveled to the four corners of the earth, carrying with them the precious knowledge which they were ready, anxious, and willing to pass on to those who were ready to receive the same. All students of the occult recognized the debt that they owe to these venerable masters of that ancient land. But among those great masters of ancient Egypt, there once dwelt one of whom masters hailed as the master of masters. This man, if man indeed he was, dwelt in Egypt in the earliest days. He was known as Hermes Trismegistus. He was the father of the occult wisdom, the founder of astrology, the discoverer of alchemy. The details of his life story are lost to history, owing to the lapse of the years. Though several of the ancient countries disputed with each other in their claims to the honor of having furnished his birthplace, and this, thousands of years ago. The date of his sojourn in Egypt, in that, his last incarnation on this planet, is not now known, but it has been fixed 
at the early days of the oldest dynasties of Egypt, long before the days of Moses. The best authorities regard him as a contemporary of Abraham, and some of the Jewish traditions go so far as to claim that Abraham acquired a portion of his mystic knowledge from Hermes himself. As the years rolled by after his passing from this plane of life, tradition, recording that he lived three hundred years in the flesh, the Egyptians deified Hermes and made him one of their gods, under the name of Thoth. Years later, the people of ancient Greece also made him one of their many gods, calling him Hermes, the god of wisdom. The Egyptians revered his memory for many centuries, yes, tens of centuries, calling him the scribe of the gods, and bestowing upon him distinctively his ancient title, Trismegistus, which means the thrice great, the great great, the greatest great, etc. In all the ancient lands, the name of Hermes Trismegistus was revered, the name being synonymous with the fount of wisdom. Even to this day, we use the term hermetic in the sense of secret, sealed so that nothing can escape, etc. And this by reason of the fact that the followers of Hermes always observed the principle of secrecy in their teachings. They did not believe in casting pearls before swine, but rather held to the teaching milk for babes, meat for strong men both of which maxims are familiar to readers of the Christian scriptures, but both of which had been used by the Egyptians for centuries before the Christian era. And this policy of careful dissemination of the truth has always characterized the Hermetics, even unto the present day. The Hermetic teachings are to be found in all lands, among all religions, but never identified with any particular country nor with any particular religious sect. This is because of the warning of the ancient teachers against allowing the secret doctrine to become crystallized into a creed. The wisdom of this caution is apparent to all students of history. The ancient occultism of India and Persia degenerated and was largely lost, owing to the fact that the teachers became priests, and so mixed theology with the philosophy the result being that the occultism of India and Persia has been gradually lost amidst the mass of religious superstition, cults, creeds, and gods. So it was with ancient Greece and Rome. So it was with the hermetic teachings of the Gnostics and early Christians, which were lost at the time of Constantine, whose iron hand smothered philosophy with the blanket of theology, losing to the Christian church that which was its very essence and spirit and causing it to grope throughout several centuries before it found the way back to its ancient faith. The indications apparent to all careful observers in this twentieth century being that the Church is now struggling to get back to its ancient mystic teachings. But there were always a few faithful souls who kept alive the flame, tending it carefully and not allowing its light to become extinguished. And thanks to these staunch hearts and fearless minds, we have the truth still with us. But it is not found in books to any great extent. It has been passed along from master to student, from initiate to hierophant, from lip to ear. When it was written down at all, 
its meaning was veiled in terms of alchemy and astrology, so that only those possessing the key could read it aright. This was made necessary in order to avoid the persecutions of the theologians of the Middle Ages, who fought the secret doctrine with fire and sword, stake, gibbet, and cross. Even to this day, there will be found but few reliable books on the Hermetic philosophy, although there are countless references to it in many books written on various phases of occultism. And yet the Hermetic philosophy is the only master key which will open all the doors of the occult teachings. In the early days, there was a compilation of certain basic Hermetic doctrines, passed on from teacher to student, which was known as the Kabbalion, the exact significance and meaning of the term having been lost for centuries. This teaching, however, is known to many to whom it has descended, from mouth to ear, on and on throughout the centuries. Its precepts have never been written down or printed, so far as we know. It was merely a collection of maxims, axioms, and precepts, which were non-understandable to outsiders, but which were readily understood by students after the axioms, maxims, and precepts had been explained and exemplified by the hermetic initiates to their neophytes. These teachings really constituted the basic principles of the art of hermetic alchemy, which, contrary to the general belief, dealt in the mastery of mental forces rather than the material elements the transmutation of one kind of mental vibrations into others, instead of the changing of one kind of metal into another. The legends of the Philosopher's Stone, which would turn base metal into gold, was an allegory relating to hermetic philosophy, readily understood by all students of true hermeticism. In this little book, of which is the first lesson, we invite our students to examine into the hermetic teachings as set forth in the Kabbalion, and as explained by ourselves, humble students of the teachings, who, while bearing the title of initiates, are still students at the feet of Hermes, the Master. We herein give you many of the maxims, axioms, and precepts of the Kabbalion, accompanied by explanations and illustrations, which we deem likely to render the teachings more easily comprehended by the modern student particularly as the original text is purposely veiled in obscure terms. The original maxims, axioms, and precepts of the Kabbalion are printed herein in italics, the proper credit being given. Our own work is printed in the regular way, in the body of the work. We trust that the many students to whom we now offer this little work will derive as much benefit from the study of its pages as have the many who have gone on before, treading the same path to mastery throughout the centuries that have passed since the times of Hermes Trismegistus, the master of masters, the great, great. In the words of the Kabbalion, Where fall the footsteps of the master, the ears of those ready for his teaching open wide. The Kabbalion. When the ears of the student are ready to hear, then cometh the lips to fill them with wisdom. The Kabbalion So that according to the teachings, the passage of this book to those ready for the instruction will attract the attention of such as are prepared to receive the teaching. And, likewise, 
when the pupil is ready to receive the truth, then will this little book come to him or her. Such is the law. The hermetic principle of cause and effect, in its aspect of the law of attraction, will bring lips and ear together, pupil and book in company. So mote it be. Chapter 2 The Seven Hermetic Principles The principles of truth are seven. He who knows these, understandingly, possess the magic key, before whose touch all the doors of the temple fly open. The Kabbalion The seven hermetic principles, upon which the entire hermetic philosophy is based, are as follows. 1. The Principle of Mentalism 2. The Principle of Correspondence 3. The Principle of Vibration 4. The Principle of Polarity 5. The Principle of Rhythm 6. The Principle of Cause and Effect 7. The Principle of Gender These seven principles will be discussed and explained as we proceed with these lessons. A short explanation of each, however, may as well be given at this point. 1. The Principle of Mentalism The All is Mind. The Universe is Mental. The Kabbalion This principle embodies the truth that All is Mind. It explains that the All, which is the substantial reality underlying all the outward manifestations and appearances which we know, under the terms of the material universe, the phenomena of life, matter, energy, and, in short, all that is apparent to our material senses, is spirit, which in itself is unknowable and undefinable, but which may be considered and thought of as an universal, infinite, living mind. It also explains that all the phenomenal world or universe is simply a mental creation of the all, subject to the laws of created things, and that the universe, as a whole, and in its parts or units, has its existence in the mind of the all, in which mind we live and move and have our being. This principle, by establishing the mental nature of the universe, easily explains all of the varied mental and psychic phenomena that occupy such a large portion of the public attention, and which, without such explanation, are non-understandable and defy scientific treatment. An understanding of this great hermetic principle of mentalism enables the individual to readily grasp the laws of the mental universe, and to apply the same to his well-being and advancement. The hermetic student is enabled to apply intelligently the great mental laws, instead of using them in a haphazard manner. With the master key in his possession, the student may unlock the many doors of the mental and psychic temple of knowledge, and enter the same freely and intelligently. This principle explains the true nature of energy, power, and matter, and why and how all these are subordinate to the mastery of mind. One of the old hermetic masters wrote, long ages ago, he 
who grasps the truth of the mental nature of the universe, is well advanced on the path to mastery. And these words are as true today as at the time they were first written. Without this master key, mastery is impossible, and the student knocks in vain at the many doors of the temple. 2. The Principle of Correspondence As above, so below. As below, so above. The Kabbalion This principle embodies the truth that there is always a correspondence between the laws and phenomena of the various planes of being and life. The old hermetic axiom ran in these words, As above, so below. As below, so above. And the grasping of this principle gives one the means of solving many a dark paradox and hidden secret of nature. There are planes beyond our knowing, but when we apply the principle of correspondence to them, we are able to understand much that would otherwise be unknowable to us. This principle is of universal application and manifestation on the various planes of the material, mental, and spiritual universe. It is an universal law. The ancient hermetists considered this principle as one of the most important mental instruments by which man was able to pry aside the obstacles which hid from view the unknown. Its use even tore aside the veil of Isis to the extent that a glimpse of the face of the goddess might be caught. Just as a knowledge of the principles of geometry enables a man to measure distant suns and their movements while seated in his observatory, so a knowledge of the principle of correspondence enables man to reason intelligently from the known to the unknown. Studying the monad, he understands the archangel. 3. The Principle of Vibration Nothing rests. Everything moves. Everything vibrates. The Kabbalion This principle embodies the truth that everything is in motion. Everything vibrates. Nothing is at rest. Facts which modern science endorses and which each new scientific discovery tends to verify. And yet this hermetic principle was enunciated thousands of years ago by the masters of ancient Egypt. This principle explains that the differences between different manifestations of matter, energy, mind, and even spirit result largely from varying rates of vibration. From the all, which is pure spirit, down to the grossest form of matter, all is in vibration. The higher the vibration, the higher the position in the scale. The vibration of spirit is at such an infinite rate of intensity and rapidity that it is practically at rest, just as a rapidly moving wheel seems to be motionless. And at the other end of the scale, there are gross forms of matter whose vibrations are so low as to seem at rest. Between these poles, there are millions upon millions of varying degrees of vibration, from corpuscle and electron, atom and molecule, to worlds and universes. Everything is in vibratory motion. This is also true on the planes of energy and force, which are but varying degrees of vibration, and also on the mental planes, whose states depend upon vibrations, and even onto the spiritual planes. An understanding of this principle with the appropriate formulas 
enables hermetic students to control their own mental vibrations, as well as those of others. The masters also apply this principle to the conquering of natural phenomena in various ways. He who understands the principle of vibration has grasped the scepter of power, says one of the old writers. 4. The Principle of Polarity Everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are identical in nature, but different in degree. Extremes meet. All truths are but half-truths. All paradoxes may be reconciled. The Kabbalion This principle embodies the truth that everything is dual. Everything has two poles. Everything has its pair of opposites, all of which were old hermetic axioms. It explains the old paradoxes that have perplexed so many, which have been stated as follows. Thesis and antithesis are identical in nature, but different in degree. Opposites are the same, differing only in degree. The pairs of opposites may be reconciled. Extremes meet. Everything is and isn't at the same time. All truths are but half-truths. Every truth is half-false. There are two sides to everything, etc., etc., etc. It explains that in everything there are two poles or opposite aspects, and that opposites are really only the two extremes of the same thing, with many varying degrees between them. To illustrate, heat and cold, although opposites, are really the same thing, the differences consisting merely of degrees of the same thing. Look at your thermometer and see if you can discover where heat terminates and cold begins. There is no such thing as absolute heat or absolute cold. The two terms, heat and cold, simply indicate varying degrees of the same thing, and that same thing which manifests as heat and cold, is merely a form, variety, and rate of vibration. So, heat and cold are simply the two poles of that which we call heat, and the phenomena attendant thereupon are manifestations of the principle of polarity. The same principle manifests in the case of light and darkness, which are the same thing. The difference consisting of varying degrees between the two poles of the phenomena. Where does darkness leave off and light begin? What is the difference between large and small, between hard and soft, between black and white, between sharp and dull, between noise and quiet, between high and low, between positive and negative? The principle of polarity explains these paradoxes and no other principle can supersede it. The same principle operates on the mental plane. Let us take a radical and extreme example, that of love and hate, two mental states apparently totally different. And yet there are degrees of hate and degrees of love, and a middle point in which we use the terms like or dislike, which shade into each other so gradually that sometimes we are at a loss to know whether we like or dislike or neither, and all are simply degrees of the same thing, as you will see, if you will but think a moment. And more than this, 
and considered of more importance by the Hermetists, it is possible to change the vibrations of hate to the vibrations of love in one's own mind and in the minds of others. Many of you who read these lines have had personal experiences of the involuntary rapid transition from love to hate, and the reverse, in your own case and that of others, and you will therefore realize the possibility of this being accomplished by the use of the will, by means of the hermetic formulas. Good and evil are but the poles of the same thing, and the hermetist understands the art of transmuting evil into good by means of an application of the principle of polarity. In short, the art of polarization becomes a phase of mental alchemy, known and practiced by the ancient and modern hermetic masters. An understanding of the principle will enable one to change his own polarity, as well as that of others, if he will devote the time and study necessary to master the art. 5. The Principle of Rhythm Everything flows out and in. Everything has its tides. All things rise and fall. The pendulum swing manifests in everything. The measure of the swing to the right is the measure of the swing to the left. Rhythm compensates. The Kabbalion This principle embodies the truth that in everything there is manifested a measured motion to and fro a flow and inflow, a swing backward and forward, a pendulum-like movement, a tide-like ebb and flow, a high tide and low tide. Between the two poles which exist in accordance with the principle of polarity described a moment ago, there is always an action and a reaction, an advance and a retreat, a rising and a sinking. This is in the affairs of the universe, suns, worlds, men, animals, mind, energy, and matter. This law is manifest in the creation and destruction of worlds, in the rise and fall of nations, in the life of all things, and finally, in the mental states of man. And it is with this latter that the hermetists find the understanding of the principle most important. The hermetists have grasped this principle finding its universal application, and have also discovered certain means to overcome its effects in themselves by the use of the appropriate formulas and methods. They apply the mental law of neutralization. They cannot annul the principle or cause it to cease its operation, but they have learned how to escape its effects upon themselves to a certain degree, depending upon the mastery of the principle. They have learned how to use it instead of being used by it. In this and similar methods consist the art of the hermetists. The master of hermetics polarizes himself at the point at which he desires to rest, and then neutralizes the rhythmic swing of the pendulum, which would tend to carry him to the other pole. All individuals who have attained any degree of self-mastery do this to a certain degree, more or less unconsciously, but the master does this consciously and by the use of his will, and attains a degree of poise and mental firmness, almost impossible of belief on the part of the masses who are swung backward and forward like a pendulum. This principle and that of polarity have been closely studied by the hermetists, 
and the methods of counteracting, neutralizing, and using them form an important part of the hermetic mental alchemy. 6. The Principle of Cause and Effect Every cause has its effect. Every effect has its cause. Everything happens according to law. Chance is but a name for law not recognized. There are many planes of causation, but nothing escapes the law. The Kabbalion This principle embodies the fact that there is a cause for every effect, an effect from every cause. It explains that everything happens according to law, that nothing ever merely happens, that there is no such thing as chance, that while there are various planes of cause and effect, the higher dominating the lower planes, still nothing ever entirely escapes the law. The Hermetists understand the art and methods of rising above the ordinary plane of cause and effect. To a certain degree, and by mentally rising to a higher plane, they become causers instead of effects. The masses of people are carried along, obedient to environment, the wills and desires of others stronger than themselves. Heredity, suggestion, and other outward causes moving about them like pawns on the chessboard of life. But the masters, rising to the plane above, dominate their moods, characters, qualities, and powers, as well as the environment surrounding them, and become movers instead of pawns. They help to play the game of life, instead of being played and moved about by other wills and environment. They use the principle instead of being its tools. The masters obey the causation of the higher planes, but they help to rule on their own plane. In this statement, there is considered a wealth of hermetic knowledge. Let him read who can. 7. The Principle of Gender Gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests on all planes. The Kabbalion this principle embodies the truth that there is gender manifested in everything, the masculine and feminine principles ever at work. This is true not only of the physical plane, but of the mental and even the spiritual planes. On the physical plane, the principle manifests as sex. On the higher planes, it takes higher forms, but the principle is ever the same. No creation, physical, mental, or spiritual, is possible without this principle. An understanding of its laws will throw light on many a subject that has perplexed the minds of men. The principle of gender works ever in the direction of generation, regeneration, and creation. Everything and every person contains the two elements or principles, or this great principle, within it, him, or her. Every male thing has the female element also. Every female contains also the male principle. If you would understand the philosophy of mental and spiritual creation, generation, and regeneration, you must understand and study this hermetic principle. It contains the solution of many mysteries of life. We caution you that this principle has no reference to the many base, pernicious, and degrading lustful theories, teachings, and practices which are taught under fanciful titles 
and which are a prostitution of the great natural principle of gender. Such base revivals of the ancient infamous forms of phallicism tend to ruin mind, body, and soul, and the hermetic philosophy has ever sounded the warning note against these degraded teachings, which tend towards lust, licentiousness, and perversion of nature's principles. If you seek such teachings, you must go elsewhere for them. Hermeticism contains nothing for you along these lines. To the pure, all things are pure. To the base, all things are base. Chapter 3 Mental Transmutation Mind, as well as metals and elements, may be transmuted from state to state, degree to degree, condition to condition, pole to pole, vibration to vibration. True hermetic transmutation is a mental art. The Kabbalion As we have stated, the hermetists were the original alchemists, astrologers, and psychologists, Hermes having been the founder of these schools of thought. From astrology has grown modern astronomy. From alchemy has grown modern chemistry. From the mystic psychology has grown the modern psychology of the schools. But it must not be supposed that the ancients were ignorant of that which the modern schools supposed to be their exclusive and special property. The records engraved on the stones of ancient Egypt show conclusively that the ancients had a full comprehensive knowledge of astronomy, the very building of the pyramids showing the connection between their design and the study of astronomical science. Nor were they ignorant of chemistry, for the fragments of the ancient writings show that they were acquainted with the chemical properties of things. In fact, the ancient theories regarding physics are being slowly verified by the latest discoveries of modern science notably those relating to the constitution of matter. Nor must it be supposed that they were ignorant of the so-called modern discoveries in psychology. On the contrary, the Egyptians were especially skilled in the science of psychology, particularly in the branches that the modern schools ignore, but which, nevertheless, are being uncovered under the name of psychic science, which is perplexing the psychologists of today and making them reluctantly admit that there may be something in it, after all. The truth is that beneath the material chemistry, astronomy, and psychology, that is, the psychology in its phase of brain action, the ancients possessed a knowledge of transcendental astronomy, called astrology, of transcendental chemistry, called alchemy, of transcendental psychology, called mystic psychology. They possessed the inner knowledge as well as the outer knowledge, the latter alone being possessed by modern scientists. Among the many secret branches of knowledge possessed by the hermetists was that known as mental transmutation, which forms the subject matter of this lesson. Transmutation is a term usually employed to designate the ancient art of the transmutation of metals, particularly of the base metals into gold. The word transmute means to change from one nature, form, or substance into another, to transform. Webster. And accordingly, mental transmutation 
means the art of changing and transforming mental states, forms, and conditions into others. So you may see that mental transmutation is the art of mental chemistry, if you like the term, a form of practical, mystic psychology. But this means far more than appears on the surface. Transmutation, alchemy, or chemistry on the mental plane is important enough in its effects, to be sure, and if the art stopped there, it would still be one of the most important branches of study known to man. But this is only the beginning. Let us see why. The first of the seven hermetic principles is the principle of mentalism, the axiom of which is, the all is mind, the universe is mental, which means that the underlying reality of the universe is mind, and the universe itself is mental, that is, existing in the mind of the all. We shall consider this principle in succeeding lessons, but let us see the effect of the principle if it be assumed to be true. If the universe is mental in its nature, then mental transmutation must be the art of changing the conditions of the universe, along the lines of matter, force, and mind. So you see, therefore, that mental transmutation is really the magic of which the ancient writers had so much to say in their mystical works, and about which they gave so few practical instructions. If all be mental, then the art which enables one to transmute mental conditions must render the master the controller of material conditions as well as those ordinarily called mental. As a matter of fact, none but advanced mental alchemists have been able to attain the degree of power necessary to control the grosser physical conditions, such as the control of the elements of nature, the production or cessation of tempests, the production and cessation of earthquakes and other great physical phenomena. But that such men have existed, and do exist today, is a matter of earnest belief to all advanced occultists of all schools. That the masters exist, and have these powers, the best teachers assure their students, having had experiences which justify them in such belief and statements. These masters do not make public exhibitions of their powers, but seek seclusion from the crowds of men in order to better their work along the path of attainment. We mention their existence at this point merely to call your attention to the fact that their power is entirely mental and operates along the lines of the higher mental transmutation under the hermetic principle of mentalism. The universe is mental. The Kabbalion but students and hermetists of lesser degree than masters, the initiates and teachers, are able to freely work along the mental plane, in mental transmutation. In fact, all that we call psychic phenomena, mental influence, mental science, new thought phenomena, etc., operates along the same general lines. For there is but one principle involved, no matter by what name the phenomena be called. The student and practitioner of mental transmutation works among the mental plane, transmuting mental conditions, states, etc., into others, according to various formulas, more or less efficacious. The various treatments, affirmations, denials, etc., of the schools of mental science are but formulas, often quite imperfect and unscientific, of the hermetic art. The majority of modern practitioners are quite ignorant compared to the ancient masters, for they lack the fundamental knowledge upon which the work is based. 
not only may the mental states, etc., of oneself be changed or transmuted by hermetic methods, but also the states of others may be, and are, constantly transmuted in the same way, usually unconsciously, but often consciously by some understanding the laws and principles, in cases where the people affected are not informed of the principles of self-protection. And more than this, as many students and practitioners of modern mental science know, every material condition depending upon the minds of other people may be changed or transmuted in accordance with the earnest desire, will, and treatments of persons desiring changed conditions of life. The public are so generally informed regarding these things at present that we do not deem it necessary to mention the same at length, our purpose at this point being merely to show the hermetic principle and art underlying all of these various forms of practice, good and evil, for the force can be used in opposite directions according to the hermetic principles of polarity. In this little book, we shall state the basic principles of mental transmutation, that all who read may grasp the underlying principles and thus possess the master key that will unlock the many doors of the principle of polarity. We shall now proceed to a consideration of the first of the Hermetic Seven Principles, the principle of mentalism, in which is explained the truth that the all is mind, the universe is mental, in the words of the Kabbalion. We ask the close attention and careful study of this great principle on the part of our students, for it is really the basic principle of the whole hermetic philosophy and of the hermetic art of mental transmutation. Chapter 4 The All Under and back of the universe of time, space, and change is ever to be found the substantial reality, the fundamental truth, the Kabbalion. Substance means that which underlies all outward manifestations, the essence, the essential reality, the thing in itself, etc. Substantial means actually existing, being the essential element, being real, etc. Reality means the state of being real, true, enduring, valid, fixed, permanent, actual, etc. Under and behind all outward appearances or manifestations, there must always be a substantial reality. This is the law. Man, considering the universe, of which he is a unit, sees nothing but change in matter, forces, and mental states. He sees that nothing really is, but that everything is becoming and changing. Nothing stands still. Everything is being born, growing, dying. The very instant a thing reaches its height, it begins to decline. The law of rhythm is in constant operation. There is no reality, enduring quality, fixity, or substantiality in anything. Nothing is permanent but change. He sees all things evolving from other things and resolving into other things. Constant action and reaction, inflow and outflow, building up and tearing down, creation and destruction, birth, growth, and death. Nothing endures but change. And if he be a thinking man, he realizes that all of these changing things 
must be but outward appearances or manifestations of some underlying power, some substantial reality. All thinkers, in all lands and in all times, have assumed the necessity for postulating the existence of this substantial reality. All philosophies worthy of the name have been based upon this thought. Men have given to this substantial reality many names. Some have called it by the name of deity under many titles. Others have called it the infinite and eternal energy. Others have tried to call it matter, but all have acknowledged its existence. It is self-evident. It needs no argument. In these lessons, we have followed the example of some of the world's greatest thinkers, both ancient and modern, the Hermetic Masters, and have called this underlying power, this substantial reality, by the Hermetic name of the All, which term we consider the most comprehensive of the many terms applied by man to that which transcends names and terms. We accept and teach the view of the great Hermetic thinkers of all times, as well as of those illumined souls who have reached higher planes of being both of whom assert that the inner nature of the all is unknowable. This must be so, for naught, by the all itself, can comprehend its own nature and being. The hermetists believe and teach that the all, in itself, is and must ever be unknowable. They regard all the theories, guesses, and speculations of the theologians and metaphysicians regarding the inner nature of the all as but the childish efforts of mortal minds to grasp the secret of the infinite. Such efforts have always failed and will always fail, from the very nature of the task. One pursuing such inquiries travels around and around in the labyrinth of thought, until he is lost to all sane reasoning, action, or conduct, and is utterly unfitted for the work of life. He is like the squirrel which frantically runs around and around the circling treadmill wheel of his cage, traveling ever and yet reaching nowhere, at the end a prisoner still, and standing just where he started. And still more presumptuous are those who attempt to ascribe to the all the personality, qualities, properties, characteristics, and attributes of themselves, ascribing to the all the human emotions, feelings, and characteristics even down to the pettiest qualities of mankind, such as jealousy, susceptibility to flattery and praise, desire for offerings and worship, and all the other survivals from the days of the childhood of the race. Such ideas are not worthy of grown men and women, and are rapidly being discarded. At this point, it may be proper for me to state that we make a distinction between religion and theology, between philosophy and metaphysics, Religion, to us, means that intuitional realization of the existence of the all and one's relationship to it, while theology means the attempts of men to ascribe personality, qualities, and characteristics to it, their theories regarding its affairs, will, desires, plans, and designs, and their assumption of the office of middlemen between the all and the people. Philosophy, to us, means the inquiry after knowledge of things knowable and thinkable, while metaphysics means the attempt to carry the inquiry over and beyond the boundaries into regions unknowable and unthinkable, and with the same tendency as that of theology. And consequently, 
both religion and philosophy mean to us things having roots in reality, while theology and metaphysics seem like broken reeds, rooted in the quicksands of ignorance and affording naught but the most insecure support for the mind or soul of man. We do not insist upon our students accepting these definitions. We mention them merely to show our position. At any rate, you shall hear very little about theology and metaphysics in these lessons. But while the essential nature of the all is unknowable, there are certain truths connected with its existence which the human mind finds itself compelled to accept. And an examination of these reports from a proper subject of inquiry, particularly as they agree with the reports of the illumined on higher planes, and to this inquiry we now invite you. That which is the fundamental truth, the substantial reality, is beyond true naming but the wise men call it the All, the Kabbalion. In its essence, the All is unknowable, the Kabbalion. But the report of reason must be hospitably received and treated with respect, the Kabbalion. The human reason, whose reports we must accept so long as we think at all, informs us as following regarding the All, and that without attempting to remove the veil of the unknowable. 1. The all must be all that really is. There can be nothing existing outside of the all, else the all would not be the all. 2. The all must be infinite, for there is nothing else to define, confine, bound, limit, or restrict the all. It must be infinite in time, or eternal. It must have always continuously existed, for there is nothing else to have ever created it, and something can never evolve from nothing. And if it had ever not been, even for a moment, it would not be now. It must continuously exist forever, for there is nothing to destroy it, and it can never not be, even for a moment, because something can never become nothing. It must be infinite in space. It must be everywhere. For there is no place outside of the all. It cannot be otherwise than continuous in space, without break, cessation, separation, or interruption. For there is nothing to break, separate, or interrupt its continuity, and nothing with which to fill in the gaps. It must be infinite in power, or absolute. For there is nothing to limit, restrict, restrain, confine, disturb, or condition it. It is subject to no other power, for there is no other power. 3. The all must be immutable or not subject to change in its real nature, for there is nothing to work changes upon it, nothing into which it could change, nor from which it could have changed. It cannot be added to, nor subtracted from, increased, nor diminished, nor become greater or lesser in any respect whatsoever. It must have always been, and must always remain, just what it is now, the all. There has never been, is not now, and never will be, anything else into which it can change. The all, being infinite, absolute, eternal, and unchangeable, it must follow that anything finite, changeable, fleeting, and conditioned cannot be the all. And as there is nothing outside of the all, in reality, then any and all such finite things must be as nothing in reality. 
Now do not become befogged nor frightened. We are not trying to lead you into the Christian science field under cover of hermetic philosophy. There is a reconciliation of this apparently contradictory state of affairs. Be patient. We will reach it in time. We see around us that which is called matter, which foundations for all forms. Is the all merely matter? Not at all. Matter cannot manifest life or mind. And as life and mind are manifested in the universe, the all cannot be matter, for nothing rises higher than its own source. Nothing is ever manifested in an effect that is not in the cause. Nothing is evolved as a consequent that is not involved as an antecedent. And then, modern science informs us that there is really no such thing as matter, that what we call matter is merely interrupted energy or force. That is, energy or force at a low rate of vibration. As a recent writer has said, matter has melted into mystery. Even material science has abandoned the theory of matter and now rests on the basis of energy. Then is the all mere energy or force? Not energy or force as the materialists use the terms, for their energy and force are blind, mechanical things, devoid of life or mind. Life and mind can never evolve from blind energy or force, for the reason given a moment ago, nothing can rise higher than its source. Nothing is evolved unless it is involved. Nothing manifests in the effect unless it is in the cause. And so the all cannot be mere energy or force, for if it were, then there would be no such things as life and mind in existence. And we know better than that, for we are alive and using mind to consider this very question. And so are those who claim that energy or force is everything. What is there, then, higher than matter or energy that we know to be existent in the universe? Life and mind. Life and mind, in all their varying degrees of unfoldment. Then, you ask, do you mean to tell us that the all is life and mind? Yes, and no, is our answer. If you mean life and mind, as we poor, petty mortals know them, we say no. The all is not that. But what kind of life and mind do you mean, you ask? The answer is living mind, as far above that which mortals know by those words, as life and mind are higher than mechanical forces, or matter infinite living mind as compared to finite life and mind. We mean that which the illumined souls mean when they reverently pronounce the word spirit. The all is infinite living mind. The illumined call it spirit. <laughs>